fans, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast. The chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, a high school coach, a college coach, even if they're a Teaneck High School graduate, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. Oh, boy. I love, you know, I've said it before. You're the co-host of the year, Chris de Blasio. You're just the master of the tease. So I, I can't wait to hear more about what that tease is all about. But we are, you know, we mentioned it for a while. We had not been to the state of New Jersey for quite a while. Now we just, we've got just a rash of guests now from the state of New Jersey. We're going to Somerset, New Jersey, the head coach of Rutgers Prep, Matt Bloom, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Brian, Chris, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's it's always great to connect and talk hoops. So I'm I can't wait. I can't wait to tell some old stories and talk about the Highwaymen. Yeah, THS. What year did you graduate, Bloom? I graduated 2000. Okay. So we we were we just missed our 20 year reunion. It got canceled at the last minute. Um, so hopefully we can meet up at some point soon. I had a good time my 20th uh, five years ago now. <laughs> but Brian, see, Matt Bloom is a hoops junkie, and I know he's going to love to talk hoops with us, but I know Matt Bloom as a baseball player because he had the distinct pleasure of being one of the fine young gentlemen that got to play freshman baseball for the great Ron de Blasio. You are one of the chosen few, Matt Bloom. <laughs> well, one of the first coaches I ever played for, and – Learned a lot, and I actually I could tell a couple stories if you want. <laughs> they got to be PG, Matt. They got to be PG. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Matt was a Matt was a good high school baseball player. Like I said, played for my dad his, his freshman year, and uh, that was I'm sure enjoyable for him. Brian knows my dad really well, Matt. Well, so, yes, I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know if any of my statistics were good, as you said, but. <laughs> I tried my best, and I think my my passion for basketball affected my batting average a little bit. So we can talk about that too, because yeah, after baseball practice, I was running down to FDU to rebound. So it's it's kind of all it all happened together. <laughs> well, as Blas mentions, I go go way back with the De Blasio family. So playing for the great Ronnie D had to be a real hoot. So maybe we can hear more about that. Maybe with that we'll, we'll have, this is a basketball podcast. Maybe we'll have Matt and Ronnie D maybe some baseball guys. We'll have it on the greatest games podcast. Who knows? The possibilities are endless. You never know. Well, no, Matt said he almost chose a baseball game as his greatest game. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> his senior year, he said he was going to choose a baseball game, but 
Matt, you talk about going down to rebound at FDU after high school baseball practice. So that was really the start of your career in hoops. So why don't you quickly take us through sort of your journey in basketball and how you got to where you are today at Rutgers Prep? Sure. So my playing career ended early. I, I never played. So <clears throat> even in high school, I mean, I, I played, I guess you could say the intramural level with, with friends and this and that, but the kids at Teaneck were pretty good. So I knew, I knew at a very young age that if I wanted to do basketball, I got a coach. So I would run down to FDU. I was a ball boy slash manager that carried over to college where I managed at the university of Pennsylvania for four years. Uh, I worked at Rutgers, did some odd jobs at hoop group, uh, worked for the nets for a year as a consultant. My first real opportunity was video coordinator at LaSalle university. And I kind of grew with that role and then became the director of operations there. And that led me to Rutgers Prep, where I'm going into my fourth year now as the head coach. So I've kind of done a little bit of everything at every level, everywhere. And it's all kind of led me to, to where I am now, which is awesome. And that's not every basketball journey is unique. And I think you guys have heard about 100 stories so far, and each one is unique. So that's the beauty of this. It's about the relationships, the people along the way. And it's great to talk and reflect. So you've got a, a wealth of, of different experiences from, like you said, from a ball boy to a manager, which, you know, I'm a, well, you may not know this, but I'm a former student manager. So I've got a, a soft spot in my heart for folks like us, uh, an analyst, a youth coach, a director of operations, video coordinator. So you've got a, a lots of lessons that you've picked up along the way that now I'm sure are informing your decisions. So tell us about maybe one or two of those lessons that you've picked up along the way. Sure. I mean, one of my favorite stories and, and something that I, I'll always think about when I was at Rutgers University working for Coach Fred Hill, who you had on a couple of weeks ago, he would always tell us in staff meetings and sometimes he would be angry. Sometimes he would be happy. But either way, he would tell us, you got to teach the guys as if they're nine years old, because that, that's how you can assess yourself as a teacher. And, and that always stuck with me. So when, when we got let go, um, kind of late in the game, it was late May, so th there weren't many jobs open. So I, that, that, I kept thinking about that, and I decided to coach a nine-year-old team in New Jersey. And I had other opportunities to coach with the players and some other 16, 17Us, but I decided to put together a nine-year-old team for fun just to see, let, let me see if I can coach these young kids and inspire them to love the game because – that's what it's about. I, I was kind of sick of the business side at that point. And it, it was an awesome, awesome experience. And it really ignited the, the fire that I had for basketball. And it, it's actually some of the kids that I still coach today. So it's, it's amazing how it comes full circle. Um, but, but that's one story. In terms of analytics, I think the, the way basketball is trending and, and you see all these next gen analytics on the screen and my son's seven years old playing 2K, talking about analytics that pop up. <laughs> My first job, I was a consultant with the New Jersey Nets, and the salary was zero. So it literally, I had to sign a contract for a salary of zero. But I watched an incredible amount of, of game tape, broke down five games a, a night, basically all the West Coast games, watched every single play five times each once for each defender. And we, we were literally ranking guys defensively and created a defensive player metric. Long story short, at the end of the season, 
and, and it's all about relationships, as I said earlier. Coach Dunphy, who was the head coach at Penn, was good friends with Ed Stefanski, who at the time was the GM of the Nets. And that's how kind of how I got in the door, so on and so forth. But at the end of the year, Coach Dunphy called Stefanski. They had a, a very brief conversation about how they didn't think the analytics stuff was worth paying for. So long story short, I had to leave, and that's when I got on at Rutgers University. So had a great year learning the game, charting everything you could think of, debating it, discussing it, putting together a presentation. But if it wasn't something that they were interested in, which is it's, it's how this, this game works, right? Some, some days you're, you're the peacock, the next day you're the feather duster, as they say. <laughs> and I, I got all kinds of quotes like that, but it's so true. But the experience is what it's all about. And I've, like you said, I've learned something everywhere I've been, and it, it kind of helps you mold yourself into that head coach you become, which, which I'm now in my fourth year. And I mean, I'm, I'm still learning and I'm still growing and nobody's perfect. Nobody has all the answers and, and we're all here to kind of learn from each other, but definitely I have a lot of experiences that I've taken something from each place. All right. I have a million comments about that answer. Sure. First of all, right. no, it's great. Coach Hill, you said was either happy or mad, but he was always entertaining in the meeting. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, I love how the Nets decided that paying you $0 was not worth it. That really goes to show your worth. Exactly. <laughs> the feather duster peacock thing, Rose, we got to write that down. That's an Ernie Nestor saying. I mean, oh, that's got yeah. Ernie Nestor written all over it. I actually, I got that from Darren Savino, who was an assistant at Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, he would tell us when he was the peacock and when he was the feather duster. <laughs> the, the one, the image that you talk about, the nine year olds, I don't know. I'm sure you remember this movie. Maybe I don't know if Brian does. You guys remember the movie Blue Chips? Oh, Funny yeah. story. My, my son is seven years old downstairs right now watching it. That's awesome. I, anytime Blue Chips is on, I stop and watch it. But you talk about coaching kids like they're nine years old and you got out of coaching. You were sort of like sick of the business side already and you went to coach nine-year-olds. The end of that movie, what does he do? He quits his job walks and he right walks down to a park and he starts dealing with little kids, teaching them how to shoot the basketball. So, like, that's what I thought of when you said that. That's immediately what I thought of, that, like, the analytics and this and that, but it still gets down to those basics and coaching the kids to, to do the fundamentals right and those kind of things, which is amazing. Oh, absolutely. And the, the at, at the highest level, at the Big East and the NBA, it's a business. And it was great to kind of take a step back, kind of get in the gym with kids that, that were playing because they loved the game. Like they had no other reason to be out there. And it was so refreshing. And it, it kind of motivated me to keep going, which which a lot of coaches need nowadays. So <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of motivations, um, I, we, we only do audio on this podcast, but Matt's got a beautifully framed picture of himself with a John Wooden book just to his right on the Zoom call that we're on right now. Uh, talk about maybe some books or, or things you would recommend to young coaches to read as they're coming up in coaching. It's interesting because, and I, I, I know reading isn't the hottest thing that people think about, but I would kind of read anything. And I know you had Kevin Eastman on a couple of weeks ago as well. I actually got from one of his clinics that he used to sit at Starbucks every morning for like three, four hours and just take everything in, whether it's reading an article, whether it's looking around, whether it's talking to a, another guy who happens to see his shirt. You, you can learn from any situation. And I think 
that's something that I strive to do. I mean, I, I keep a list in my phone, especially during this COVID period. Every day I'm picking up something, whether it's something from school, something from a magazine, something for, I overhear someone say at the supermarket. It just, just keep yourself thinking. And in terms of books, I mean, again, I, I'm a history teacher at Rutgers Prep. I also teach English. So I, I, I'm reading a lot of books because I have to. And I know kids read a lot of books because they have to. But read something for fun. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. It, it can be a sports book. It could be a book about John Wooden. It could, be, it could honestly be a book about anything, the Army, the, the post office, whatever you want to read a book about, you, there's something in there that you can apply to basketball and coaching. And, I mean, I, I'm just hungry for information, not necessarily read this book or talk to this person, but kind of – when you least expect it, I think that's where you get your best material. And, and I, I believe that I, I try to go to Starbucks every morning. It's been difficult the last year, but I, I do try to take some, some me time where I can kind of search the internet or read articles or talk to anyone. I mean, this, this period has been great with, for catching up with old friends. And I, I think that is just as important as reading books. So I hope that answers your question, but I know I was kind of jumping around. Now, I'm curious about that list that you keep on your phone. So when you, you read something, you see something, you put it on your list. Are you referring back to that list? Are you, cause I know for me, like, I'm like, Oh, I got to remember that. I know. To get, and then like, I'll end up with just bukus of, of list and, and notes on my phone. I'm like, Oh, I forgot I had this one here and it, it'll come back around six, eight, maybe you know, over a year later. So I'm curious what you do with that list. So it's interesting because it finally is actually paying off a little bit. Um, we are in the state of New Jersey right now. We're allowed to have virtual meetings with our team for about a month. So I kind of organized all my notes into a, a bunch of different meetings that, that will, will take 30, 45 minutes at a time to just, just talk and kind of give a basic overview. So we, we started ba real broad, basically basketball as life. And, and by January 11th, we're really going to zero in on what we're going to do. So we're, we're, kind of halfway there now we're, we're still doing all the, the motivational, inspirational kind of basketball life analogy stuff, but, but we will fine tune it into kind of giving them the playbook before we even kind of meet in the gym. So it, it's an interesting year. And instead of venting and complaining, we're going to make the most of it. That's awesome. Uh, Brian, you were talking about like having those lists and going back to them. I was just reading a thing, uh, Matt, I don't know if you know this, but I do stand-up comedy. I think I told you that. Oh, yeah. um, and so so I listen a lot more because you get a lot of material from that. But I was just reading something George Carlin said, and he said, never throw away any of your old material or old jokes, whether you've used it or not. He goes, because 20 years from now, you may come back to it, and you may find something funny in it. But I think it's the same thing with, with coaching or teaching. You may not use it this year or next year or the year after year, but then one day it may look and it, and it clicks with a couple of kids you have or a team you have. So yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I'm one of those guys, I don't throw anything away. So I, I might never look at it again, but I know it's there in a cabinet somewhere. And it's interesting because I, I can go to my phone and talk about practice 47, this eighth sprint we ran and what happened. So, I mean, I, everything's in there somewhere and it, it's, it's, you're right. At some point you, you might want it and you might need it and it might be useful. So it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. 
Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> All right, Matt. So the, the title of the podcast is The Greatest Games. Uh, you gave us some information about your greatest game, uh, talking about your time at LaSalle, and uh, you guys beat a pretty famous team and a pretty famous coach in a, in a really good game at the last second. So why don't you take us through that game, take us to uh, – ah, oh, I had the name of the place and I forgot it. What's the name of the arena? Tom Gola Arena. Tom Gola Arena. That's right. Middle Shoot. Valley University, the third floor. So it, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been, but you, you literally have to go up to the third floor to find the gym. But I'll, I'll, actually, I'll actually take you back about four or five days before that game. And as you know from your experience as a video coordinator, I was the video coordinator at LaSalle at the time. And – we were getting ready to play a very good Butler team and Butler was, it, it was, I believe it was their first college game day ESPN home game. They were playing a top 10 Gonzaga team. And I don't know if, if you'll remember this game or not, but they were down one Gonzaga had the ball and Roosevelt Jones stole the inbound, took it coast to coast and kind of shot a runner from the elbow, went in, court storm and they they were a top 10 team after that and and basically they they were they took the college basketball scene by storm so i'm in the office watching film you know how it is i i, I was probably there at 6 a.m and it was great because that's that's kind of my time to watch film get the stuff ready before i even talk to coach and i knew coach would get there probably a little bit after that and he did he came in at about 7 a.m that day and this was the morning after that game where he's probably he's excited for the game. But at the same time, he's thinking, how are we going to beat these guys? Like these guys are really, really good. And he walks in and it's the same thing every day. He goes, Bloom, you got anything for me? Most days I didn't have anything for him. But watching Synergy and the, the more stuff I watched, Roosevelt Jones, who was their point guard at the time, a big 6'4", strong kid, kind of built like a middle linebacker, but he, he was bringing the ball up for them. He had not made a shot outside of the paint all year. And I, I'm 94% sure of that. I'm not 100% because synergy is not always correct, but I'm watching every clip of every made bucket, nothing outside the paint. So all I did was tell him that information. He flips that information. He goes, so what you're telling me, we can put our center on him. And I, I whoa, I took a step back. I said, that's absolutely not what I said. So he, he goes in his office, starts thinking about it. I don't think anything of it. At practice that afternoon, he basically talks about that, and then he puts our 6'11 center guarding their point guard. So fast forward to the game. Home game, sold out gym. It, it's, it, it's an unbelievable atmosphere. We're, we're, we're at the time, we're good, but we're not great. We, we were, I think we were 500 in the A-10 at the time, and we, we had – we had a pretty good non-conference slate. We, we made it to the NIT the year before, and, and we knew we were pretty good. But long story short, we're on the bench. Roosevelt Jones gets the ball, first possession, sees a 6'11 kid kind of standing at the free throw line waiting for him. Looks over at Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens looks at him and just tells him to go. He drives our, drives our center right to the bucket layup. Second possession, same thing. Drives him right to the bucket. Tough two. Two for two. And Coach Giannini, I don't know if you have Dr. G. He was at LaSalle. Yep. yep. 
another another entertaining great guy right in my face you mf for this mf for that how this was you this was your idea so i'm just sitting there like oh my gosh like this is gonna be the longest two hours of my life but as the game progressed i mean it 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 made them do what they didn't want to do. I mean, they, they did have some success driving our 6'11 center, but they were taking all tough twos. They didn't score as much as they, they normally score. And by the end of the game, we had a chance to win. And we ended up Ramon Galloway, a South Carolina transfer with 2.7 seconds left, lays it. And that's debatable. I'll tell you, I'll explain that as well. Lays it in. Crowd's going crazy. They inbound it, throw up a, a bomb, it misses. Total chaos, pandemonium at the goal. Court storms, there's drinks all over the court, ice and soda. Brad Stevens is going crazy on the one end. So he talks to the refs. I guess there was a clock malfunction. So again, as they clear everybody back to the benches, they clean up the court, fans are back in their seats. And I guess they decided that there was no malfunction malfunction so then everybody storms again and it was just an unbelievable atmosphere unbelievable memory so it was a double court storm i love it yeah and, and that team actually went on to win at vcu that weekend another ranked team had a great season went made, made it to the sweet 16 which is pretty impressive at LaSalle university and so just remind me y'all y'all are y'all are more the basketball junkies than, than i am or will ever be but Butler had just recently come off back-to-back yeah. uh, yeah. national runners-up. Uh, correct. Right. And then they 10 and 11 or 11 and 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and so was- this, I believe, was their first and only year in the A-10. And they were good. They, they ended up winning 27 games that year. They were ranked for most of the year. I, I don't think that game at the goal helped them. But <laughs> other than that, they were pretty good. And obviously very well coached. So we've talked early, early on, we talked in this podcast of some unique strategies, some teams with the slowing it down, that kind of thing. And, and so you guys employed this unique strategy at any point. I mean, you say the first two baskets, it goes in, you're like, well, this isn't going to work. Oh, sorry. I cursed. Darn. (laughs) I hadn't done it in a while. Um, But at any of the timeouts, when you coaches huddle up, is anybody saying to, to, to Dr. G like, Hey, maybe we should, come back to like normal defense or I mean, I, I, we, were we should fire it, Matt Bloom. Like they, <laughs> I was all going through my mind, but what we would always like to say, and whether it's a zone or whether it's some type of scheme, if they make a couple shots, it's almost like fool's gold. So we, we almost want that. And we, we prepare ourselves as coaches, even though in the heat of the moment, he was pretty mad at me. That's not what you said. You just said Roosevelt Jones doesn't make shots. Exactly. You can take it. I didn't tell you exactly right. But I mean, that's part of what makes Dr. G such a great mind. And I don't know if you, you've caught any of his games, but he does games for NBC Sports now. And his, he's like the Tony Romo of college basketball. He's, he's given schemes and strategies, and it's fascinating stuff. But he, he was always open to ideas and outside-the-box ideas and – he would watch games and think, and he, he did all the scouts on his own. So he, he's a bit unique in that regard. It wasn't like an assistant coach. It was literally coach watching the tape and talking to me, the video coordinator. So, I mean, he did 99.9% of it. And I, I kind of just researched whatever kind of piqued his interest. Well, I'm, I'm curious as, I, as you send in your, your information for this, for this game here, 
Uh, as we've mentioned before, I was excited as a South Carolina Gamecock fan to talk about Ramon Galloway. He spent two years in, at South Carolina in 2009 uh, to, to uh, 2011. So, uh, and went on to just have great career, averaged 14 points a game his, his junior season at LaSalle and then finished averaging 17 a game going deep into the tournament. So just talk about his influence as a player. And he was one of those guys for me that I hated to see him go, uh, and but I was so, so pulling for him and seeing I'm just amazed at him doing all the great things that he did up there. Yeah, and he absolutely was an alpha male leader, wore every single emotion on his sleeve, and he played so hard. I mean, he's a, he's a typical Philly guard. He, he kind of wouldn't back down from anybody, always thinks he's the best player on the court, and every, his energy was contagious. And, again, he was emotional. So some games, it didn't, go, it didn't work out, but we, we, we lived and died with him. And, and we lived a lot more with him. So, I mean, outstanding leader. And it's he played two years at LaSalle, NIT, Sweet 16. And the last 25 years, they haven't even kind of sniffed the postseason outside of those two years. So unbelievable talent, great human being. I love him. And he's still playing. He's still doing great stuff. Um, I, I have all good things to say about him. I just – I kind of in my heart, I just wish he kind of got the opportunity to play in the NBA because I think if he had the opportunity, he would have stuck, but he had, he had some bad breaks here and there and he's still playing, making money and living a good life. Matt, I always like to ask this question when, especially these real crazy wins, these last second wins, court stormings, the storm, the court, you, you get the guys, you get back in the locker room, you celebrate you the coaches, you know, in the coaches room, whatever. When does it sink in? When you're walking out of the arena, what is the feeling? Is it exhaustion? Is it exultation? What is that feeling kind of like when you're walking to your car at the end of the night? I honestly think only the people who have experienced it understand it. There's so much going on and you're sweating, you're disheveled. You're, I mean, I lost my, during the court storm, I lost all my papers, all my game plans. I had Gatorade all, I mean, it was a mess. But then you're thinking we have VCU in two days and we got, we got to make sure the bus is there. We got to make sure the food's ready. We, there, there are so many little things that, that I, I think the casual fan doesn't appreciate. But there, there is always a moment where I don't know if you go out to a late dinner or if you kind of just take a minute to yourself where, where it does all sink in. And it's, it, it's, it's what we talk about, the highs and the lows. And you certainly do it for the highs. And that's right, right up there with it. So uh, piggybacking off of that question, I think it's a great question. So this is a program that, as, as you mentioned, um, had not won a whole lot recently and then just had two really good back-to-back years. So you beat a team like Butler, you celebrate, you throw your papers everywhere, kids are going nuts. How – and maybe it's just the, the Ramon Galloway uh, factor. I don't know, but I, I want to hear what your answer is. Um what gets those kids back locked in? It's like, oh wait, we get we have more games to play. Like you said, VCU in two days. So what? What you celebrate for a little bit? But what was it within that group that year um, that really got them focused on the next? next I mean, I think game? that I think after that Butler game, and especially after the VCU game, which came next, the the players in the locker room knew they had something special. It, it wasn't the coaches telling them that they they knew it. And I remember distinctly after the VCU win at VCU, which is a place where no one was winning that year. It was their havoc and their great defense and the crowd was nuts, but we had really good guards that handled their pressure. 
we won that game, went to the locker room. Coach G didn't say one word. It was Ramon. Ramon did the post-game speech, basically saying, like, guys, lock in. We could be something special. And Coach G looked at us, and we were like, don't say a word. Let's let's just go change. So at, at th- that year, we knew that it went from a coach-led team to a player-led team, and that's something that we've been I've been grasping for ever since. <laughs> something I, I tell my guys now, like, once you guys care as much as we care, like, we can step back and let you enjoy this. So it's, you just know. And, and with a guy like Ramon, you can feel it. You can feel his energy. You, you could tell that he wanted to win. So even in the games we lost when, I mean, honestly, he took a bunch of shots and didn't make them. We knew he was still trying to win. So we could, we could look in the mirror and say, look, like we're going to lose some games, but we got our guys where we want them one at a time. So it was literally one at a time. And, and how I remember a couple things Coach Hill said. One thing Coach G always said every halftime, no matter what the score was, the halftime score doesn't mean crap. And he beat <laughs> that into us. So when we're midway through the season, that doesn't mean anything. Like, keep going, keep going. And those guys really bought into that. Well, I believe it was episode 37 with the great Kevin Grimes from Demarest High School. I believe it talked about a player-led huddle during a game and I think it's something special for coaches to just to get the heck out of the way if a player is talking where they're saying exactly what needs to be said for coaches to be able to swallow their pride or whatever just to get the heck out of the way and say all right that's it no, and for me, <laughs> see, it's, see for me it's not even my yeah. pride it's I know the other kids are going to listen to the kid more than me so I mean, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what you want that as a coach you you love that you, you pray for that to happen and when it happens you know you have a good squad Brian, I believe it was the Passaic coach oh, well, in the okay. game against uh, Clifton when they went into overtime. Okay. In 99. Okay. I, as you said it, I remembered it. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of the guy's name. Yeah. You usually have the episodes up there. You're good at that. Um, <laughs> Matt Bloom. Great story. Good stuff. We always like to end on a fun question. Uh, if you've listened to some episodes, you probably know what question's coming. If I asked those nine-year-olds that played for you 10, 12 years ago, and I asked one of your players for you at Rutgers Prep this year, what's the thing Coach Bloom says over and over again? What is that one thing? Well, it's interesting because I, I don't think it's anything specific. I mean, I don't want to know if it is, but I have a, as I talked about earlier, a seven-year-old son who's in every puddle and every post game and every pregame and – I'll just be on the couch a couple hours after the game and he'll walk right in front and kind of do my entire speech over again. And and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll think, did I, did I really say that? Like, man, I hope I don't sound like that, but I mean, I I don't know how I sound, but clearly it makes an impression and (laughs) my seven-year-olds making fun of me that I know all the guys are as well, but I can't think of anything specific. I mean, I, I talk a lot about appreciating every day and pre COVID the guys would kind of roll their eyes, but I, I think now they, they understand what I'm talking about. So I, I do beat that in. I, I, I try to talk down the basketball aspect and I talk up the life aspect and the schoolwork and, and all the little things because it, it's about so much more than basketball. And basketball can open doors, but it's up to you to kind of go through those doors and, and have a successful life. So that's that's something I'm proud of. And I know they, they also kind of make fun of me about it, but does he have the mannerisms down too? I mean, yeah, I, I think those are genetic. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, bringing that answer back full circle to what we talked about earlier in the show with your 
your varied experience from rebounding to being a manager to analytics, you name it. Uh, you've been around the block. And so you, you do get it. Not that some coaches don't get it. I'm not, I'm not speaking bad about anybody else, but you've got a very wide view of, of the game of basketball, of, of life. And so uh, those, those folks at Rutgers Prepper uh, are, are uh, I, I know are very thankful to have you there. And I know you're doing great things up there. We just, and we can't thank you enough for coming on the show with us. This has been great. Uh, and I appreciate it. And if, if you have 30 seconds, I can tell one Coach de Blasio story. Please. <laughs> so early on, and it, it kind of – I still think about it as a coach now, but he had this, this gimmick where he would have us bunt into a hat, and if someone bunted into a hat, the whole team was supposed to get ice cream. So I, I don't remember who exactly bunted into the hat, but we're still waiting on those ice creams. So <laughs> oh, scandalous. Needy and I uh, about 30 years later, we're, we're looking for our ice cream. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to need a confirmation on this story, though. We're going to need to find somebody else. We'll find some, we'll track track somebody else down. Who else did you play with? Strip? Yep. Yep. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll track somebody else down and get confirmation and we'll get that. Yeah. Listen, he's living off the New Jersey teacher's pension. He's doing all right. He can buy ice cream for 10, 12 guys. All right. Wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. (laughs) Can I get in on that deal, too? I don't know if he's ever bought. No, he's bought me plenty of stuff. <laughs> but uh all right matt bloom again thanks for coming on uh this has been this has been all uh, a, a great episode and uh maybe we'll like i said earlier we'll have this back and and do a baseball episode who knows <laughs> with sounds great but, i appreciate you having me oh yeah <laughs> but we'll go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host chris de blasio i'm brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games